very special service because uh, at the end of our service, we're going to be taking up a collection for all of our churches that we support generously year after year in Mexico and Central America. And so we're going to do that towards the end of our service, and it's going to be an incredible day. They, just in advance, I want to say how grateful they are for your support and for what you do, because without us, it'd be a lot different. So today we're right in the middle of our, our, our series, a lesson series. If you're visiting here with us, this is something we do. We, we take a topic and then we just, we just drill it down. We look at it and we study it and we turn it around and we rip it apart and then we put it back together again. And so that's what we've been doing with this word that you see on your screen, Christian. And we've been looking at this study and the interesting thing that we've looked at and the title of today is when Gracie, you can see it right here, Gracie met truthy okay and let me tell you this is a very hot topic today always it's been forever since jesus was here and but this is what we're going to talk about but christian the idea of christian and this is what we've been talking about the the last few weeks is you know basically you can be a christian and do whatever you want and and believe whatever you want uh, it was a term that was used by people outside of the church, outside of the followers of Jesus, to describe those that are inside. The interesting thing is, you can't find a definition of Christian in the Bible. There's no definition. And that's why forever it's, it's something that, you know, people are on all sides of every issue. But Jesus used a word, Jesus used a word that is super terrifyingly Clear. Anybody know what that word is? Disciple. Yeah, you guys have been here the last few weeks, so you, you know. And, and so we've been looking at that word, and we've been looking at the comparison. And, and you know, as I said, there's Christians on every side of every, almost every issue. Whether it's political, financial, international, even in families, you've got people that are, that are pitted against each other and both say, I'm a Christian. And so why is that? How is that? There can be so much controversy surrounding the same word. It's because it's not defined and it's not clear. So we as, you know, we as a church, we've been looking at this study so we can really identify who we're supposed to be. Because the world's telling us you're a Christian. But the Bible's telling us that word doesn't exist in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. And so it's important for us not to settle, as we talked about last week, settle for Christian. Because it's not defined. We want to be what Jesus called us to be. And that word is very, very clear and it's very challenging. What should this, what should this look like following Jesus? What should it look like? And it, it's described here as Jesus said, he says, this will define you by this. By what? By this, you, all men will know. That you are my Christians. No. My disciples. See, Jesus didn't even call his own followers Christians. It doesn't exist. It didn't exist then. He didn't use it. But he called his followers disciples. He says by this, this will define you. And what's the defining point? If you love one another. And this is the point today that we're going to talk about. This idea of love. Because we all think we know what love is, right? Oh, yeah, I know what love is. You know, we've heard so many songs. We've heard so many poems and so many ideas about love. And the truth of the matter is we really don't know it. And Jesus says, 
you know, following him is not about wearing jewelry around your neck. It's not about where you go to church on Sunday. It really has to do with something, and it's not what kind of family you were raised in. It's a matter of how you love. And that's going to happen when you leave here today. That's going to happen on Monday. That's going to happen on Tuesday. That's something you've got to take an honest look at. All the rest of stuff is man-made, man-defined. But we have to ask the question, if we know so much about love, how did Jesus define love? And later on in a verse, he says that he he told his disciples, I want you to love the way I loved you. So here's the bar. I know you were taught to love this way. And maybe in your experiences in life, you've been taught that love means this. It's that passion. It's that those flowers. It's that, you know, that 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 that, that, you know, chemistry that you feel for somebody. Maybe. But not really. Not as Jesus is defining it. And we're going to look at that today. What it means to really love. Jesus set the standard for love. And that's what he wants. If you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you've got to be willing to love as he loved, because that's what he's calling all of us to do. And not just be Christians. Not just be people that go to church, but to be followers of his And one of the things we're going to look at today, when you look at the Gospels and the way Jesus loved, it challenges you to the core. I mean, it just it just it just really challenges you about how he loved. And there's a tension. When you see the way Jesus is loved, it challenges you, but it creates a tension, a really strong tension. And it's a tension that all of us want to resolve. We want to take this side of the tension or we want to take this side of the tension in the way we do things. It makes us feel uncomfortable when Jesus loves the way he loved. And we're going to get nitty and gritty with that today about how he loved. Because it's going to make many of us feel uncomfortable when we go out and do it. And many of us spent time in churches at one time where he was either one or the other. You were either on one end of the spectrum. And each one of those people, when, when they were in a church that was very truth-sided, you know, we speak the truth and it's, it's hard and it's, you know, we do it. You feel like, man, you know, we're missing something. You know, or if you were on the other end of the spectrum where it was all about grace and it was, you know, grace and love and we just need to feel good about everybody, you get in that situation and that setting, you know, no, I, I'm, something's missing here too. And so both sides of the spectrum, they feel the same thing. Something's missing. And God wants us to know, yes, there is something missing. And, and I'll share this with you. You know, for me as a, as a minister, I get, I get a lot of input. I get a lot of people that, that want to share with me how they feel about the, the subject. You know, they say, well, I feel the church needs to be more of this. Right? I get emails. I get phone calls and they say, well, we need to do more of this in the church, right? And then then there's this other group of people and I got an email even this week from a a brother down in Mexico and he says, well, I feel the church in Mexico, you're you're the one that's helping us down there in Mexico. I feel the church needs more of this, right? And I feel that tension. But when you open the New Testament 
and you see the way Jesus loved, you're going to find this. You're going to find that his love was messy. It was messy. It was unfair. It was also inconsistent. And it was confusing. And he said, no, 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 no. You're, you're way off. That's not the Bible that I read. I think you're not reading the Bible. And we're going to see today what I'm talking about. You will come away from what we look at today going, hmm, it's messy. And those of you that have really gotten involved in people's lives and you've tried to love them, let me tell you, it's messy. When you peel back and open up what's going on in there and then you start dealing with real life issues, it's messy. But Jesus in his ministry, sometimes it seemed inconsistent. But wait a minute. It seemed unfair. And it seemed confusing. And this, these four words, these four negative words, this creates a tension. It creates a tension. And, and it's something that, you know, we want to resolve the tension. And we say, well, it needs to be more of this or it needs to be more of that. And the truth of the matter is, if you're, going to, if you're going to write down one thing today, write this down. If you try to resolve the tension yourself, you lose something really important, vital to the gospel. If you try to take sides with truth or, or grace and you try to, you know, define it, resolve the tension, you're going to lose something. And for so many years, people have lost it. They've lost something from one side or the other. And in our family of churches, just kind of being open, we're going to get the laundry out and we're going to hang it on the line today. And, you know, I got to say this for our family of churches. This has been a point of contention for some people over the years. Well, I feel we've lacked this. Well, I feel we need more of this. And in the last few years, they say, well, we need to we need to have more of this. Even in the singing today, you could say, well, well, I really like singing without instruments. Well, now we need to have the band up here. And, you know, and it's just endless. And you know what? We really need to look at not what we want, but what is it that God wants? Because we're not here for ourselves, right? Maybe you are, but it shouldn't be that way. We should be here for who? And everything we do should be for Him. And if you're visiting here with us today, you know, maybe you're not here for God. Maybe you got bribed into a, a, a lunch afterwards. I get that. I went to church many times in my youth because of a bribe. Food, pretty girls, lots of things. Those were my motivations. But at the end of the day, I had to come down to, all right, what's God want? But to embrace the tension that we're talking about grace and truth, it can be extremely messy, unfair, and confusing. And depending upon what background you come from, that determines which one you appreciate. Even your personality. You know, some of us are truth tellers, right, in our personality. Some of us are more loving, right? We're more, we're more like, no, I don't need the truth. You can't handle the truth. Okay? Maybe that's your, your position. But Jesus created this tension. He brought it. And He confronts us with it in Scripture. At times He was forgiving. At times He seemed to hold people, everyone around Him, accountable. 
Other times he was hard. Other times he was kind and quiet. At times he'd point out the sin and really bring it out. And we're going to see that today. At other times he would just ignore it. And you go, well, Jesus, which one is it? I need something consistent. I need something down the line. And for us as a church, as we've talked about, if we try, if you try to resolve the tension yourself, you lose something really important. So after today, I'm going to ask that all of us embrace the tension. And not to try to take one side or the other, but just to embrace both. Because it's important if we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to look at one of the the oldest apostles in in the Bible, the Apostle John. You read the Gospel of John. And he was one of the long survivors, the only apostle according to history, tradition. He was the only one to survive and grow old as a follower of Jesus. And he lived to be an old man. And he would sit around with people. And this was 40 years, 40 to 45 years after Jesus had rose from the dead. So the Christianity and the the, the followers of Jesus had been in existence for years. He'd seen a lot. He'd seen bloodshed. He'd seen persecution. He saw wars. He saw horrific things. So he would sit around as an old man and he would share these stories about Jesus. And, you know, back in this time, everybody thought that Jesus was going to come back like Thursday this week. But after so many years, they said, he may not be coming back. How are my kids going to know about these stories that you're telling, John? So they persuaded John, John, you've got to sit down and write this stuff down. Write it down for us because we want to be able to pass it on. And thankfully, he did write it down because we get to read it today. And he, he went on and he, he had seen so much in his life as a follower of Jesus. So he sat down and he, he wrote the Gospel of John. And he describes the opening, chapter 1. Read it this week. I would encourage you to look at it. It's amazing. It's one of the most amazing introductions of all the Gospels. And he describes it like a grand picture. Jesus' ministry. And Jesus being like a word. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And Jesus himself, he, he portrays Jesus himself as a painter. And Jesus paints this beautiful picture, huge picture, the creator, the author, the artist. And he's painting, he's painting this picture, and it's full of people. And then he enters into the picture. He's walking in his own picture. And he interacts face to face, eye to eye, with people. And they didn't recognize him as the artist, as the creator. And it gets so bad that they grab him, they arrest him, and they throw him out of his own painting, of his own creation. I mean, what an incredible description of Jesus' ministry. And this is John in his old age. And this is where we pick up, this is the, the, the verse in John chapter 1, where we're going to pick up this, this tension between these two. And, and he, he says, this is what it is. This describes 
Jesus' ministry. I'm going to describe it for you. You ready? John says this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Meaning, He lived here. He ate with us. He talked with us. He was among us, the Son of God. And we have all seen. Now, this we here is not we, we. It's not he, we. It's them, we. Do you follow that? It means just the apostles. It's not you and I. The apostles, we, the apostles. We have seen it. We, we testify to it. We, we were there. And we saw His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He came full. I was talking with a brother and I, you know, I was sharing with him earlier this week and I said, you know, this week, uh, this is going to be a special week because I'm going to talk about grace and truth. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to work on the balance of grace and truth. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. There's no balance. See, it's not 50-50. Jesus wasn't 50-50. Jesus was 100 and 100. He was full of both grace and truth. And that's the amazing thing. And we know about, you know, truth and grace, but, but truth says this. You're accountable. You're going to have to give an account for your life. That's what truth says. Grace says this, you're forgiven. Grace says, you're fine. You're okay. Truth says, you're broken. You need to get fixed. You're a mess. Grace says, it's going to be all right. Truth says, you need to work at it. And you need to work hard at it. Grace says, I love you. No matter what. I love you. Now you can tell which one you'd like more. Depending upon your personality, depending upon your personality, you lean one way or the other. And, and this is how it is. And some of you remember the way you were raised. Remember? Remember you had, you know, one parent was, was, was grace and one parent was truth, right? Let me guess who you like the most. You, you like Gracie, right? You love Gracie. Now, some of us grew up in truth and truthy home or grace and gracie, depending. But, you know, the truth of the matter is we, we all like gracie better. But, you know, your parents would argue behind closed doors on how to raise you. And they would argue on this very topic. Truth. Grace. Which one is it? And usually in most homes, there were two. But. A good home, a good home, a quality home, a well-based home included a good dose of both. Not either or, but both. That's a great home. So for all you haters of truthy out there, you got to appreciate what he or she brought to the table. Because we need both. And Jesus was full of both. But the truth is, is I like the verses in the Bible I like the verses that, you know, 
lean towards truth when I'm talking to other people. Right? I love those verses. When I'm talking to you, I'm bringing the truth. But the truth is, I like verses that lean towards grace when it's about me. When you're talking about me, hey, I need more grace. Right? That's always the way we play it. And so guess what? Grace just fell off the table. Can't lose you, Gracie. Can't lose grace. But this is how it works. And John says this. John says, here's what I saw. I saw this. I saw truth. I saw grace. And I saw them. what I saw. Jesus was this, full of grace and truth. What an amazing, what an amazing thing to see. Full of grace and truth. And when we think about this, but, but the truth of the matter is, with this, and he goes on, and John says this in, in verse 16. He says, Out of his fullness, we have all received, and those of us have been around the church a while, and we've been around God's word a while, this, this, would, this would apply true. Out of his grace, even if you've been around for a few years, you know this is true when you realize it. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. In other words, grace on top of grace. On top of grace, on top of grace, and it's still going on today. June 10th, 2012. What are you going to receive today? And that's what he's saying here. And he goes on in verse 17 and he describes this. He says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. This came through Jesus. Christ. You want to know what Jesus ushered in? And no one comes close. And no one will ever come close to this. Being full of grace and truth. This word came. Jesus was born into our world. He was, he was, he was brought into it. He was born into it to pour this out on everybody. And it's, that's why it's so important for us as a church. It's so important for you as a follower of Jesus, if that's what you want to do. It's so important that you embrace both. And that you look at both. And both were born in Him. And He was not the balance, but the full measure. He was the embodiment of grace and truth. And it oozed out of Him. But... He brought this into everything he did and said, but that's what makes things so messy. We tend to lean depending upon the situation, all of us. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care what role you have in the church. All of us tend to lean 
depending on the situation. And it's very important for us as followers of Jesus that we don't lean, that we stay right where Jesus is and we keep it as our goal to follow Him. And you know what? The thing, just when you thought you knew what Jesus was going to do and say, He completely surprised those people around Him. And when you read the Gospels, sometimes it blows you away. He did what? I can't even believe that. He came from God and He said that. He did that. And when you understand this and you read the gospel through the lens of grace and truth, you see it everywhere. And I hope that even in your Bible studies in the coming weeks, you'll see how this comes right off the page. The full embodiment of grace and truth. And we're going to look at a few of examples today. If you have your Bible, we're not going to, we're not going to you know, pick it apart, but we're looking at John chapter 4. And this is an encounter. This is one of those moments that creates tension. Extreme tension. In John chapter 4, we read about a woman from Samaria. Jesus was passing through Samaria. And he sent his disciples off to get some, some food and provisions. And so he sits and he, he kind of he kicks back on a, on, a, on a well. And a woman comes out of nowhere. And he asks her, he's thirsty, it's hot, it's Palestine, probably 100 degrees, dry heat. And he sees her with these jugs of water. And she's a Samaritan woman. Jesus knew because they dressed in such a way you would know who was who. And she knew who he was. She knew he was a Jew. And so Jesus asked her for a drink. The very fact that he talked to her shocked her. Because, see, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. That's the way they operated in that culture. You don't talk to a Samaritan. They were considered unholy, unclean. You didn't talk to them. Jews and Samaritans didn't talk. Mostly Jews with Samaritans. Samaritans were the, were the outcasts. And so he's having this conversation, and Jesus asks for some water, and she comes back, and then he says, If you give me a drink, if you give me a drink, then I'll give you water Living water. She goes, what? Yeah, living water. You won't have to come back here and get more water. You'll have eternal water. And so they started going into this religious conversation. You know how people get religious on you? You know, they start quoting from Scripture and they quote from history. And then she started doing that. She started going back and forth with Jesus. Not a good thing to do. And as they're going back and forth, Jesus drops a bombshell on her. He says this. Go get your husband. Whoa. Now, you've got to understand. This is, this is blow away. Go get your husband. And she responds, I don't have one. And Jesus says, what you've said is true. You've had five You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now isn't even married to you. I mean, whoa, you go, Jesus, did you not go to seminary? You don't talk to people like that. You don't drop bombs on people like that. You don't just open the closet and tell them everything they've ever done and just unleash it. You don't do that, right? He did it. I mean, he unleashed the truth on her. And now, you've got to understand, five husbands. 
I don't know if they died. Probably not. Probably they've been divorced. And she's living with a guy. Under, even under Samaritan standards, this was really, really bad. You can imagine the reputation that she had. Everybody's got standards. And there's no question, even in Samaria, a woman that's had five, you know, even today, well, let's talk about this, you know. Five husbands and she's living with a guy. What's that tell you about her life? She's a mess. And Jesus broke it out on her. You want to get religious? Here's the truth about your life. And then he goes on to say, now, now we got everything out in the open. I'm going to give you water that will quench the thirst of your soul like a man has never or will ever quench your soul. And, and she goes back and she, she talks to the whole village that she's from and brings the whole village to see Jesus because they're blown away about this woman. And then we have Matthew, the tax collector. You, you've heard me talk about this, right? He was a tax collector. How many of us would love to have a tax collector come to our house tomorrow? I mean, we don't even like tax collectors today. But then, then it was very different. Tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst. They had their own category. You had sinners, and then you had tax collectors. They were the, the worst, the most terrible. They were, they were traitors to Israel. People hated them. And what did Jesus do? He leans in and tells a tax collector. He's got his posse with him, his, his group, his, his boys behind him, the apostles. And he leans into Matthew and he says, come on, I want you to come with us and be a part of our group. And the guys are like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You, you can't have him come with us. Do you know that's how that's going to ruin our reputation? you know how that's going to affect us if he comes with us? Jesus says, it's going to get worse. Because at about 6 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to his house. And we're going to be at a party. And guess who's going to be at the party? All kinds of tax collectors and sinners and really, really bad people. But Jesus, don't you understand? If you hang with him and if you go over to his house, that is going to basically say that you condone what they do. You're in agreement with what they do. If you hang with these people... If you let him be a part, you're basically saying it's okay. You see, I'm not saying that at all. But what about our reputation, Jesus? You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to be the man of God, the one chosen. I'm not here to preserve my reputation. I'm here to seek and save the lost. This is messy. And, you know, for us as a church, what about our reputation? You know, where, where are we at with this? And it goes on. There's, there's even a more intense story. You've got, you know, the, the, the woman caught in adultery, in adultery in John chapter 8. And she is sitting there and she's, she's there among with, you know, the, 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 the disciples and 
And they bring her in. She was caught in the act of adultery. They, they ripped her out of the, the, you know, the hotel or the motel or wherever. They ripped her out and they brought her right in front of Jesus and said, according to the law of Moses, she's got to die. And they were right. It says it in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus could have said, you know what? Back off. Hop off. You guys can't kill anybody under Roman law. But he didn't do that. He said, okay. You want to kill him? You want to kill her? Here's a stone. Go ahead. Throw away. But let the guy who has committed no thought of adultery in his mind be the one. You throw it. And I can imagine he was looking at people in the eye, same way I am. Some of you don't like that. <laughs> he would look at people in the eye and he'd say, you that have done this, here you go. Here's a stone. You throw it. I mean, what would you do? As you can imagine, the stone went to the ground. And, and any of you other ones that, you know, if you've had a lustful thought in your heart, you be the first one. You do it. And then everybody ends up walking away. So here Jesus is with the adulterous woman. And he looks at her. And he says, woman, where are the stone throwers? Isn't there anybody here that's going to condemn you to death for what you've done? She said, no one, sir. And here's the blow away. Son of God, then neither do I condemn you. Whoa. The Son of God? He's the one. He's letting her off the hook. He said, yeah, I'm letting you off the hook, but do this. Leave your life of sin. Don't do it anymore. Change your life. See, let grace change you. Let grace shape you. And then we go to the, the fourth example, the most intense example, Luke chapter 23. The thief on the cross. Jesus is later arrested and he's put to death. He's sentenced to death on the cross and he's hanging there on the cross. And there's two thieves to his right and his left. And these aren't just ordinary thieves. These are guys that cannot be trusted. They can't be trusted doing anything. Not in the prison mines. Anything. They're beyond recovery. So they crucified him. And one of the criminals on his right or on his left, one of them begins to hurl insults at Jesus and say, Jesus, why don't you send down some angels? Why don't you, why don't you rectify? Come down off the cross. And the other one comes to his defense and says, hey, we're up here because we did what we deserved. He's an innocent man. He comes to Jesus' defense. Now, did Jesus argue the point of whether they were getting with what they deserved? He kept silent. They were both guilty of terrible crimes. Deserved to die. But when he stepped in and defended Jesus, an amazing thing happened. He comes out and he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom... Will you remember me 
Will you remember that I came to your defense? And here's the blow away, the most powerful example of grace. On the spot with one minute left on the clock. Jesus says, before you breathe your last, and when you're done, and when I'm done, we're going to see each other again. You and I are going to see each other in paradise. And they're like, whoa! And the disciples hear this and they're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Just a couple of chapters ago, what did you say to the rich young man? I mean, this was a guy with a moral life. He obeyed the Ten Commandments. He was a good guy. And you told him to, to sell everything he had and go and follow you and give everything to the poor and go and follow you? And you basically told him he couldn't be saved unless he did that? Wait a minute. This is unfair. I mean, this guy's on the cross. He can't repent. There's no restitution. There's no, there's no changing your life. He's going to die in 20 minutes. His life is over. He's done nothing to deserve salvation. That's the tension of grace and truth. In a nutshell. And it makes us feel uncomfortable. So which one is it? What do I do? And, and how, how, do I, how do I face this? And... And, and, you know, grace comes out at the last minute. Is this fair? No, it's not. It's absolutely not fair. And as we've already talked about, this woman will jump ahead. You know, and, and, and with this woman, he goes on and he basically says this. He says, so which one is it? I don't condemn you. Or you're a sinner. Which one? Yes. I don't condemn you. Or you're a sinner. Which one is it? Yes. This is messy. It's incredibly messy. And as we talked about, this is how Jesus loved. It was messy. It was inconsistent. It was unfair. And it was confusing. And there's going to be a lot of times in our lives, in the church, that we're going to see this. Where you're going to see one example, you're going to see one situation, you're going to go, wow, that's too much grace. That's not fair. And then you're going to look at the other side and you go, wait a minute, that's too much truth. That's not fair either. Can we come to some kind of fair agreement? Can you see that here? Do you see that here in Scripture? And I would invite you to read your Bible. Instead of us having a discussion in the back afterwards, you may come and you say, hey, let's talk about this. I'm going to just say, go read your Bible. This is what I come away with. It's messy. It's confusing. It's not fair. I come away with that. And so what does God want us to do? 
Embrace it. Both. And you know, me as a church leader, and I've done this so many times before, there are Sundays, you know, and it's amazing here in the church when we talk about sex, everybody shows up. Right? It's like, wow, we did a series and love sex and dating in the fall, and man, everybody was here. Hey, gotta come, we're gonna talk about sex in church. As people come, there's just so much tension. There's like, okay, there's going to be this fifth gospel that's going to be rolled out. What do people think I'm going to say? Really? But there are other Sundays where we we drop the bomb and we, we talk about the truth and we talk about where we're at with God and it's hard. And you walk out and you go, man, that was hard. That was tough. I'm really glad I came. But if I told you beforehand, would you want to come? Probably not. Right? Because we like Gracie. But we could all do that. I want to share with you a story. This is a picture of me in college. This, okay, when you're done laughing, I'm going to tell you the reason. This is one of my best friends from college. The hard thing about this photograph is that uh, two weeks ago he passed away. He was my buddy. We did everything together. And this, this hallway where you see the picture, he lived across the hall from me. We did everything together. We were studying marketing together. We had classes together. We, we lifted together. We, we played intramural sports together. We ate together. He, got, he, got, he studied the Bible and got baptized, and, and we were great friends. But it was in this setting. And if you notice how we're standing next to each other, this was in the 80s, you know, there's a little bit of space in between us. Okay? Because you just don't get all close on a guy, right? This is the mentality. And this was shortly after I got baptized. And see, For some of you, maybe you don't know this, but I came from an extremely, extremely dark past. A lot of sin. A lot of bad stuff. And so when I came into the church and I came into God's relationship with God, I felt an incredible gratitude for grace. I mean, I was so grateful. God, you've had so much mercy on my life. And and I would go back and I would think about all the sins and all the stuff. And I go... God, how could you forgive me of all that? And so I would talk to him and I talked to other people and everybody in the dorm hall, they knew about my life and, and they called me names, and, but it was all good because they, were, they, they respected me. But then there was a guy who was baptized with me on the same day. His name was Terry, who had a brother. And all of us have a family member or friend like his brother. His brother's name was Roger. And here comes the tension. See, with all my sin and all my stuff that I've been forgiven, God sends Roger into my life. And Roger is probably one of the most effeminate men that I've ever come in contact with in my whole life. But he was my, my brother's brother, the guy that I got baptized with. And so I'm looking at this guy and, 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 and my, in my core and about who I was. And you see this photograph and, you know, we were men's men. And we, you know, we were, we were all about being men, right? 
And then when Roger would come around and just make us nauseous and go, ugh. Because, you know, he was like Richard Simmons type look. And, you know, he had these, these running shorts that came up way too high. And he had the tank top on. I mean, it was, it was like Richard Simmons. And he had a very, he had, had the lisp, the strong lisp. And, and, you know, it was just like, and he came from a homosexual background. Strong. And God put him in my life. And he would come to my dorm room, you know, and everybody who was there at the time, he'd pick the right time. He'd walk into the dorm room and he'd knock on the door and everybody would look, you know. And there's Roger in his Richard Simmons shorts and his tank top, you know. And I would just open the door and I'd go, oh, Roger, come on in. You know, it was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. But then I had to think, God, how do you look at my life? How do you look at his life? Is there really a difference? You know what the truth is? We're both terribly, terribly lost. I was forgiven He hadn't been forgiven yet. And when that dawned on me, I realized this very point. I need to love like Jesus did. How did Jesus love me? Jesus loved me unconditionally, even though it must have grossed him out to look at me. And, you know, from that point on, Roger would hang with me and Mike. And it was awkward, but we embraced it because we understood what God had done for us. And this was a this was a teaching. This was a this was a teachable moment for me in my life where I had to embrace. Now, I got to confess that teaching hasn't always stuck with me. And I'm saying for us as a church, if we're going to love the way Jesus did, we've got to be willing to love people when it's messy. See, because God doesn't see us any different than when he sees that person out there who would just, he just repulses you. You just look at her, him or her and you just go, that is so ugly what they're doing and so ugly how they're living. Guess what? That's you. Grace was given. But what about giving it? What about giving it? Grace was given to you. Grace has been given to me. And that's what struck me. I said, man, I've received so much grace. How generous am I going to be now with this grace? And this applies to your schools. This applies to where you study. This applies to where you work. This applies to a family member who you are at odds with. And all of us have got that family member or we got that friend of a family member. And you know what I'm talking about. It is ugly and it's messy. And they're looking at you and they're saying, where's Jesus? Where is he? And your reply must be, he's right here. To the best of my ability, he's right here. I gotta confess, that hasn't always been easy. And I have seen, I have seen the ugliness in my life before where I can put myself on a pedestal and then start to use that, that measure of truth and point my finger and, 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 and think people are worse off. No, 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 no. 
And I want to ask you a question. What type of sinner has God put in your path to embody the fullness of grace and truth? That you would embody this. And if you're here visiting with us, let me just say this. I know you want to come here and you want to judge, but let me, let me say, God needs more people that truly follow Jesus. And I want you to, I invite you to join us in embracing this tension because it's not easy. But as I look at our world and I look at Christianity, you don't see this. And it's very, very messy. And if you want to know what Jesus meant when he said, love one another, then watch what he did. Watch what he did. Do you want to know what, do you want to know how, how he loved? He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. He paid for it. And having paid for it, he declared like he did with the adulterous woman. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. It's time for a change. It's time for you to turn over a new leaf in your life. And this is a passage here that, that, that helps me to understand what is the purpose of grace. When you really understand it, when you really grasp it, like I did recently after I was, you know, converted when I gave my life to Jesus. What did this word mean to me? This is what it did for me. For the grace of God has appeared that for the grace of God has, a, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. It goes on in verse 13. The appearing of the glorious, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What is good? Eager to do what? To love. To love the unlovable. And I want to say this today. How many of us are really involved in the lives of other people around us to help them get to know who Jesus is? Because my fear is too many of us have built these walls around our lives where we've got our church, we've got our work, we've got our friends. And yet there's a whole world of people around us who need Jesus. You know, we have the core four Bible studies. Have you tried? You know, I can remember many times with that young man, Roger, in college that we would, we would pray together. We would study the Bible. I mean, we would try so hard to help him work on his manhood. It was tough. And we would cry together. We would pray together. And it was, it was tough. I didn't want him to become like me. I wanted him to become like Jesus. And that's what I needed to become is like Jesus. But it was tough. But that's what grace taught me. It taught me to say no to things that I knew were hurting my relationship with God and the people that I love around me. But it also taught me to love. I want to call us today to be that church. And here's a closing statement. As we close it down, 
The church is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. I don't think it's a good thing for a church to be known as a truth-telling church and not be a grace-filled church. It's got to be both. It's got to be it's got to represent both. But let me give you a heads up. It's messy. It's inconsistent. It's unfair. That's what it's going to be. But we can choose to choose one side or the other because of its convenience, or we can just, like, like Jesus invites us to do, embrace both. It's going to be tough. And I don't always have the answers. I believe our elders don't always have the answers, and that's why it's a good thing for us to say, you know what, let's just pray about this. Let's, let's, let's read our Bibles. Let's see if God can show us what's best. They say, well, it's best to err on the side of grace. Uh-uh. It's best to err on the side of truth. Uh-uh, that's too easy. The church is at its best when it embraces both. The full measure of grace and truth. So let's be a church that's all about the grace of God and all about the truth of God. And here's the reality. There will come a time in your life, very soon maybe, where we will need a massive dose of truth. And there will come another time in our lives, maybe very soon, where we're going to need a massive dose of grace. Are you ready for both? Do you see the need for both? And in conclusion, I want to ask you to do something this week. I want to ask you to extend grace and truth in Bible studies with friends. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to reach out and study the Bible with somebody. Invite them to church. Have a conversation. Engage. Engage with them. Share your testimony. Share your life. Don't keep people at arm's length like it's a leopard camp. Where they're sick and they're diseased and you're, you're irked and you're, you don't want to contaminate yourself. And if you're here visiting with us, I want to encourage you to embrace the tension by studying the Bible. You know, you're here for a reason. And God has been trying to reach you for a long time. It's time you turn yourself in. You stop running. Stop avoiding. Stop settling for Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. I believe. It's not about that. The word's not even really defined in the Bible. It's about following and loving like Jesus. And the place you do that is in community. Not at arm's length. When you're wrapped up in it with people all around you. Let's pray for the communion.